When I'm not painting the city red, I'm always tuned into the Landscurve Show, the spot where it's always kept real. Welcome to the Landscurve Show. It's an honor, Judge Joe Brown, to have you on. I think so highly of you. You are so necessary in this day and age, in any age, because of the wisdom that you possess. Not only that, but the wisdom that you're so willing to share in abundance. And I'm honored to be here. And I would like for you to speak on anything that, that's really important. Just free flow it, man, because there's so much to cover. And I don't want this to be the only time that we speak. But earlier when we spoke in the conversation, we were speaking about the attack on straight black manhood and why black manhood is so important. And we touched on different things. And I want you just to continue on with what you were saying and just school us. We appreciate you. Welcome. All right. Thank you, young brother. It's my pleasure to be here. All right. Now, you cut me off because I'll, I'll run on for quite, you know, i wind up and get going. So guide me here. Well, one of this the is things what, we, yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, this is what I wanted to say. If Jesus was here, I would never tell him to uh, be quiet. You're here in the flesh talking to me, and I'm going to give you the same treatment. Trust me. There's nothing right. I can say to stop you. Just go right on ahead. Okay. First okay. off, manhood is the most important thing that we have to deal with. When you have manhood, you have order. You have purpose, and you have direction. One of the problems with the black man in America is that the slavery we once were under worked only because of deprivation of our manhood. It was taken from us not just by the slave masters, but by the way we were put in a matriarchal situation so that our mothers, grandmothers, and our communities did not teach us about being men and the fathers that we had, if we knew them, and they just weren't studs to increase the master's livestock for front and profit, well, it just didn't get taught. And manhood is about purpose, honor, obligation, responsibility, dedication, courage, and bravery, both physical and moral. To be a man, you have to have something you're willing to die for, a purpose. Not just dying because you have no reason to live, but dying because there's something you stand for. If you're not willing to die for something that you stand for, then you're not much of a man. And one of the things that I see that is so rampant these days is we have too few real men who direct themselves in a fashion that says to themselves when they look in the mirror in the morning, to their children if they have any, and to anybody that associates with them, I'm about something, and if necessary, I will die for that. Now, that said, one of the things that has been going on in the last 50 years is that there has been a move afoot for a certain group of people who do not behave in the fashion that most people do. Let's just say kindly and candidly, they aren't interested so much in the ordinary reproductive process. 
And there is another thing going on there, too, that some of those white males and also some of the black males who did not want to get into this man versus man thing where it sometimes could get lethal could opt out by becoming, what shall we say, a sex object or someone of the same sex. That has been one thing that has plagued us for the last 50 years. The other thing that has plagued us is that the feminist movement got itself in a position to actualize their belief that being in a traditional marriage, having a husband or a steady man was some form of slavery. In the mid-late 60s, there was a reaction to the Vietnam War, and a response to it was that war is a man thing, and the way to stop war is to change the way boys were raised to men. And the feminists developed this outlook that boys should be raised like girls. Duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, courage, bravery, and dedication and accountability were looked at as masculine things that led to violence. To change that, they advocated all around the country that men should learn how to be emotional, to cry, to shout, to let it all hang out, instead of being so uptight and under self-control. Now, you can see that all around on television, in the movies, out on the streets, and in general society, where there is this glorification of emotionalism. Why did you do it? I was emotional. And the worst thing you can have is a fully physically matured male who is overly emotional and not in control of himself. See, men are essentially the apex predators on the planet Earth. We kill everything and anything, including ourselves, when it meets our purposes. That has a function. That's why we are at the top of the food chain. But it needs to be something that we are very familiar with and under control. It needs to be something that's appropriately socialized and acculturated. A man under control is a peaceful man. But that ability to manifest violence effectively needs to be there just in case it's called upon by necessity. In our communities, we have become matriarchies. The family has become a pipe dream almost. Most of us under 35 are born out of wedlock without a traditional family in support. Many more, and the overwhelming majority of us 20 years of age and under, are born out of wedlock. That is not a good thing. The feminist and the LGBTQ crowd has pushed that because that degrades masculinity, and it's in their interest to do what they see fit, and that is to tear manhood down as a concept. Mm -hmm. They felt excluded. They felt left out. 
So instead of trying to accommodate their differences by a realistic assessment of the fact that there needs to be future generations of people, they just want to destroy all of the rules. Now, if they're right constitutionally to do whatever they want to do, if you're behind closed doors, that's your business. Do your thing, so to speak, if it doesn't hurt anybody. I don't play that. And I am all about trying to get young males to become men. It used to be that the voice of the village promoted manhood. It used to be that the mothers promoted manhood. Spartan mothers used to tell their sons, come back with your shield on it. In other words, do or die. Women at one time had a vested interest in their sons becoming real men because those sons became part of the protective scheme that protected the village, the tribe, the people, the community involved. They don't see it that way now. You go to a restaurant and you sit down and you watch young mothers with no control over the children that they bring who have not even thought about giving those children home training. They are not being socialized and acculturated properly, and they're not being men. Over the last 50 years, I have seen hope. I have seen promise. I have seen progress, and I've seen it peak out and then go downhill. We have to do something about reversing that trend. We spend entirely too much time being entertained. And there is an old saying that Julius Caesar is responsible for more than 2,000 years ago. He said, give them bread and circuses, and the commoner will not care what his betters do. In other words, feed them and entertain them. We have another thing out there that is a people we need to be aware of, but you can see it in your typical rank-and-file Republican. Now, that is what Machiavelli said one time when he, well, he didn't say it. He wrote it in a little treatise called The Prince. He was toting up to some rich lord down in Italy. And he said, you can get people to submit to oppression willingly and also assist in their own oppression if you give them the chance, however slight, however unrealistic, to become part of the class that does the oppressing. And your typical rank-and-file Republican puts up with all sorts of wrong, encourages it, deals with uh, supporting those who rip him off on the off-camp, that he's going to win the lottery week after next and become filthy rich. You have another situation. Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, said a lie told once is a lie. Told a thousand times, it becomes the truth. Tell a lie long enough and loud enough, and you can get anyone to believe it. Supposedly, in our system, I'm getting some you can, interference here. Yeah, that, that was a doorbell. Pay that no mind. Just continue on, my my friend. Okay. 
the news media, the fifth estate, and the kind of system we have has certain liberties that it is granted, supposedly because that was perceived as the best way to keep the citizens informed, to promote dialogue and to spread knowledge, wisdom, and information that would be necessary to meaningfully participate in your governance. But because the society has become effeminized, demasculated, it has become a thing that no longer appreciates that. And what once was supposed to be a news source has now become a source of entertainment. You have 24-7 news, CNN, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, and quite frankly, there's not enough news to go around. So a lot of it is directed toward keeping you entertained and ready to stay tuned so you will pay attention to the commercials that these television stations and networks get a lot of money for running. They want you to look at it. They want you to hang on to it. And it's also being used as a propaganda media. medium. About 50 years ago, color television was causing Hollywood studios to go broke. A lot of the old executives lost their positions. Now, that was a new crop of young people that took over, but they tended to be into this LGBT thing. And they had an agenda which was anti-masculine, and they had the biggest and most profound propaganda engine in the world under their control to do it. And over the last 50 years, they have slowly but surely acclimated the American public into an acceptance of their lifestyle. Now, as I said, they have a right to do what they want to do behind closed doors uh, to themselves. But in the process of propagandizing their position, they have downgraded and caused people to no longer be socialized and acculturated in a pattern of conduct that has essentially worked all throughout human history and prehistory. And it has downed manhood, so there is a lack of order and purpose. You can see it where we live, where everything is chaotic. We have police in our area to keep us down like we are varmints who are preying on the farmer's crops or playing some kind of games out there and destroying the livestock of the ranchers. Well, that shouldn't be because men are the source of order safety and prosperity in a community and we are not getting manhood put in our souls anymore that is something that we need to be aware of and that we need to turn around now bring me back to where we were during our personal conversation a couple of hours ago well so, we, we we talked on several things, but you spoke on especially how the attack on black manhood uh, was becoming yes. more prominent. And 
using Hollywood, and I won't mention the name. You can if you want. You know the legalities involved. But we spoke on certain individuals and their effect on the community, and you actually exposed some. Um, You can freely speak as as far as you can, and I would urge you to because um, people need to hear this. While they might dispute me as a person who doesn't have your uh, background and your experience, well, you saying it carries a lot more weight because you have been there where these other naysayers haven't. So feel free to speak on the attack, uh, a specific attack on black manhood and, and where did it start. Name some of the players and some of the people on the face of it who helped to bring this agenda through. Okay, now let me say this. This is February and it's Black History Month, African American History Month, Afro American History Month, whatever you want to call it, Negro History Week, Colored Day. You see, we get taught African American history in terms of, okay, McCoy invented the pneumatic brakes. So what? What does it all mean? What does it say? We study history to learn from the past so we do not repeat its mistakes because human nature remains the same. And we learn from it so we can guide our present so our future becomes what it want, we want it to be rather than something that we would rather it not be. Now, one of the things in American history especially in the last hundred years, is that various groups have used the black man's situation to front off their own. The Jewish population supported the NAACP at its foundation. There was only one black man involved in its founding. That was W.E.B. Du Bois. And the theory was, is if you couldn't do it to a colored person or a Negro, you couldn't do it to a Jew. And interestingly enough, for the first 50 years of the 20th century, there were no civil rights laws, with the exception of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, which basically were honored more by being ignored or being used to establish business corporations than anything else. Now, What we relied upon, other than those constitutional amendments, was the SPCA laws. In other words, the laws set up for the society to prevent cruelty to animal uh, statutes that came into being, and that was supposed to be used for us with this, literally. If you couldn't do it to a dog, you couldn't do it to a Negro. If you couldn't do it to a Negro, you couldn't do it to anyone who was Jewish. And now they put it up, you can't do it to a dog, you can't do it to a Negro, you can't do it to gay persons, you can't do it to somebody who wants to be odd. Everybody has snuck in under our umbrella, and we become the front for that. Black Lives Matter has become a front off for the gay thing. I mean, good for them politically, but three lesbians founded Black Lives Matter. And they did it with the same thought in mind. We can front off the condition of the black man in the United States as he is treated by police to use that as a precedent in terms of conditional precedent so that 
the gay population does not get dumped on. They like to say that their situation is as ours. It's not. Their interests are not what our interests are. But as I say again, they have their rights under the Constitution. We have ours. But I am very concerned about what I see on a daily basis with the lack of progress with our young black males as they would attempt to go toward manhood. I'll say this, when I was out there for 15 years, how I got into this was ugly. I was the last judge on this James Earl Ray matter. In other words, did Ray actually kill King? And it would have been my finding had he lived long enough that he did not. And that rifle they have in the Memphis Civil Rights Museum is not the murder weapon. The FBI supplied the weapon. I have seen the invoices that relate to the weapons in question or the specific one in question. And getting off on some of the things we're getting hot about now about black people defending the FBI, they are not and have never been our friends. But in any event, what has happened is that we have a situation where you got somebody like me involved in Hollywood. You had somebody like Bill Cosby involved in Hollywood. You had someone like Chappelle involved in Hollywood. And we are straight black men. And we don't read scripts. We are up there doing our thing, or we write the lines, or we come up with the lines, or we say it in reaction to the circumstances. But Hollywood detests and despises straight black men. If you are a straight black man, they will use you to get themselves money, and then they will try to destroy you and discredit you. Now, I was always about duty, honor, responsibility, obligation, accountability, courage, and bravery, physical, and more. During this 15-year period, it developed that for the last several years, I was either the number one or number two daytime syndicated show and sometimes number one syndicated show in the whole damn country. But you never heard that because it was not in their interest to let anybody know that a straight black man was at the top of the heap. I was in a special unit run by a gentleman now no longer amongst the living named Roger King. It was under King World. It was a division of CBS television. It consisted of myself, Judge Judy, Oprah Winfrey, and Dr. Phil. Well, it wound up that I started beating Phil almost every day. The last couple of years, I was beating Oprah every week in the race, and I started beating Judy quite regularly. And then what they would do is they would change the ratings rules that applied to me or change them for Judy and the rest of them to try to boost them up because they didn't want a straight black man is the number one television show. Some 
jurisdictions and stations in the southeast law Tennessee, not Tennessee, the United States wanted me in prime time 9, 10, and 11 because they like real men in the South. And when I played in those markets in an hour format, I was beating The Tonight Show, Leno, you name it, Conan. And even though it was making CBS a lot of money and they were telling the stockholders that I was the number one show that they had in terms of producing revenue, they didn't like that because it wasn't pushing their little pet agenda. So after 15 years of fighting them and them trying to kill the show off because they didn't like what was being said, enough became enough. And basically CBS wanted me to take an IOU for some money they owed me. So we parted the ways. Now, you see everybody's TV shows on rerun. They've got 15 years worth of Judge Joe Brown reruns to play. They're on YouTube, and they do quite well. CBS Drama plays them six different episodes every day in Europe, and they do very well over there, but they will not play it here in the United States if they can help it because they don't want anybody trying to straighten the people out so that they get moral fortitude and character and ethics again. You see, you see stuff like Boo and Boo too. When Hollywood is strapped for money, they produce that kind of stuff. Tyler Perry does his thing. And they don't really pay him in proportion to what they pay other people, but they get money and we just love it. They play girls' trip when they need money, and black women just fill up the the movie theaters and just patronize those theaters and pay their money out, and Hollywood gets money. But that doesn't translate into black people getting a fair deal in that industry. And what they do tend to push with this stuff is a sick imagery that these little boys, that these women are taking along, their sons and grandsons and nephews to see that put the wrong kind of behaviors in their heads. That's not a good thing. But we do this. You see, they want us to watch basketball They want us to get all weirded out about NFL, but let a Kaepernick come in there and start showing a little national leadership and getting folk to start getting a dialogue going on about what it is, which started out initially. We want to impact NFL. A lot of people watch it. It is the country sport along with basketball, so we want to send the message to local law enforcement. How well that does that, I do not know, but... People wanted to expand it into all kinds of other things because they were nervous about it, but it promoted dialogue. And on the national level right now, by the way, we have no effective black leadership. We have very little on the local level. We have too many black people 
who have snuck in over the last 50 years who have decided that they are going to get some claim to fame and a high paycheck because they are the tokens that make everything look like it's okay. It's not okay. We make this system work because of what we do for it that we don't even realize. See, when pressures are hard and there's a lot of stress, people like to have scapegoats they can blame so they don't have to look in the mirror and say, you're responsible. It's not you. It's something else. It's those black folks, those African-Americans, those, you know, those people. And we become scapegoats for the country. We allow the country to vent pressure. There is a big problem that we will really feel, and that is that unlike every other industrialized country, this one has bought into the big lie of private enterprise being so sacrosanct that the government can't regulate anything, and we have no programs that cause the well that were set up to take the ordinary laborer who has been made obsolete by industrial technology and computerization and find something for him to do on a comparable pay level in this economy. So what they do with that is they have a device that is developed to control surplus labor. And that device is called the criminal justice system. It's no longer designed to control crime, but surplus labor. Now, labor is a commodity like wheat, corn, or cotton. And if you have a glut in a commodity, what happens is that the price of the commodity drops. When the price of labor drops, you get Timothy McVeigh types taking ammonium nitrate fertilizer and blowing up courthouses in another Oklahoma city. So you don't want that. So there are three things you do to cut down on the commodity glut. You cut back production, subsidize the would-be producer, and store the surplus. We put the surplus in a jail cell when it's labor instead of a grain silo. The subsidy is some form of welfare check, and the cutting back of production is when everybody bangs out, drugs out, gets pregnant too early, too often, doesn't raise children in a traditional family. The children don't get education. They don't get training. They develop inappropriate attitudes, outlooks, wrong worldviews, and when they get that first felony, they essentially become permanently unemployable and they can't vote. The impacted communities are politically chaotic because of the confusion that goes on in the neighborhood, so they can't bootstrap up with the political process. And then our would-be black leadership were basically some sellouts for the most part who have gotten positions because they can either deliver our black block votes when somebody wants them, or they can deliver consequences for their supporters who don't happen to look like them. Mm -hmm. And what we get is a big mess. And part of this thing is Hollywood puts out the wrong kind of ideation for us to model ourselves on 
so we clown around, drug out, party too damn much. We do not deal with education. We do not deal with getting training. And we become unemployable. We go to jail and we make money for a lot of people. Not so much by the free labor that we deliver in a jail, but because we in that process of going to jail, take ourselves out of the labor market so they don't have to figure out what they're going to do with so many unemployed people. So we fit into a real nasty little vicious circle here, and we need to break out of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what we're going to do right now except to get galvanized and radicalized. I will say this, and I mentioned it to you earlier. America runs in 100-year large cycles and 50-year small cycles. Right now, we are back in the late mid-60s, say 1968 comparable. There was a lot of unrest in the country. Now, right now, everybody is all worried about Trump. But in my opinion, if you really want to have seen a scoundrel, you should have seen St. Ron the Reagan, that now they make uh, a glorified somebody when he was a charlatan, and if you're talking about racist, that was the folks where he came up with that thing about black welfare queens wearing mink coats and driving Cadillacs and Lincolns. It was disgraceful, but too many people don't remember that, and the news media won't point that out. There was Barry Goldwater. We had, uh, I remember when he ran against Johnson in 1964, and that clown pulled the race card out. And by the way, somebody that the black community seems to love, Hillary Clinton at that time, was a young high school Republican, and she was campaigning for that racist Barry Goldwater. She became president of her young Republican chapter at Wesley All-Girls University. And in 67, she and her parents were campaigning to keep housing at the University of Illinois segregated and trying to keep the new uh, the Chicago suburbs segregated. And she campaigned for Richard Tricky Dick Nixon and came out to <laughs> California to campaign for Ronald Reagan. But see, we love that. We forget it. We forgive it. And we forgive people who have been our abject enemies and never been our friends, except when they want to, you know, give lip service to, you know, I'll smile at you. Mm -hmm. We look at people on television who don't mean well for us. Like, for example, I interviewed Trayvon Martin's mother on two occasions on the radio. And it turned out that Anderson Cooper on CNN had advised her to not reveal that Trayvon's grandfather was a lieutenant detective on the Miami Police Department because that might alter the public's perception of the matter. It might not bring as much attention. And say CNN had an interest in trying to get people all worked up over, oh, this is a hood rat wearing a hoodie, not the grandson of a cop, et cetera, et cetera. And forgetting about the fact that uh, Zimmerman 
match the profile of an OG in a Cuban gang. You know, we don't want to go there because that alters the public perception. And it will diminish the ratings. We want you to be stay tuned. Uh, we want you to stay tuned and be on the edge of your seat to find out what happened next. That's the kind of game they run on us. Mm-hmm. They talked all that nonsense about no retreat doctrine. And I can tell you as a judge, the person that had the right of no retreat was not Zimmerman. It was the dead boy, Trayvon Martin. Excuse me for saying boy at my age. I can call somebody who hasn't gotten 20 that, but the dead young man. <laughs> we know we know what you mean, Judge. <laughs> so, you know, and it's the other things. It's like one of the things we have to deal with right now is what they did to destroy the black family. When I started practicing law 40-some years ago, I started off with a community legal services program. That's poverty law. The most common case we had was getting a check turned back on when some social worker sitting with a pair of binoculars decided to cut the check off because one daddy out of the five or six that some woman may have had for her seven or eight children was trying to be involved. So when a man came around, they cut the check off if he was trying to play father. In the juvenile courts, famous saying all around the country was, I don't care if he doesn't look like you, feed him long enough and he will. It isn't my kid, judge, I don't care. And that was destroying the family. You had juvenile courts around the country that expanded their jurisdiction, they privatized, they started making money out of it, and they had a vested interest in ruining families so that, guess what? When the dregs of the family started getting in trouble to wit the juveniles started acting out, that would send them through the juvenile courts so that would be ongoing business. See, we have these things that have been impacting our communities. We have, you take a black woman who is a celebrity. She may be a happily married woman, but if she gets pregnant, they try to act like she's single, so they push this image of being single. Look at the Kardashians. What do the Kardashians do? Exactly. Tim made a porn film with Brandy's brother, Ray J, years ago, and the family seems to get its money because if you go in any major hotel or motel in America or you turn on your cable thing or you turn on DirecTV, Comcast, or whatever it may be, you can pick her up. You know, uh, Kim does <laughs> Ray. It's four ninety five to seven ninety five a hit, and that's been going on for fifteen years. Exactly. But we they that's held up as a role model. They had this thing now, I don't know if the girls are married, but three Kardashians joined Kim pregnant. Why are you putting that up there as a, a, a role model for children? You see. Thanks. The Housewives series, you've got these low-lifted women running around acting with no moral character, and uh, black women and other women, whites, too, are supposed to be horrible behavior. Mm -hmm. 
you had this thing they did that really set the, the, the start on it with soap operas. They started off on the radio back in the 30s, and they call them soap opera because Procter & Gamble, Colgate, and Tide used to sponsor them. And for the last 80 years, they've had a continuing series of programming where women would just have to tune in and the daughters would watch them and their sons too young to go anywhere would be having that poison put in their subconscious as mm -hmm. these deplorable people would be having no character would be doing uh susan is trying to get with carl but she can't because Carl may in fact be her half brother because Carl's uncle was supposed to have had an affair with Susan's mother, but it may have been Carl's father. And that stuff's gotten so filthy that I, I reviewed uh, an LSAT, the Law School Aptitude Test, and for part of this, they had a logic section. And what was it? Susan is the first cousin of Thomas. Thomas is the son of Jonathan. Jonathan is, in fact, the half-brother of Jamal, and Jamal is actually a certain... What is the relationship like? Who in the hell thinks like that? Unless you have right. been watching <laughs> this kind of nonsense. That is sick. They're destroying our moral fiber. Um, I would occasionally, I told you about this, run into some one of our young brothers. I don't like your show, Judd. Why? You sit up there and rank my game. What game am I ranking, young man? Well, see, I got my hoes, man, my ladies and my hoes. You sitting up there talking about men supposed to be protecting these women instead of utilizing for what they can do for you. Do you have a problem with that? Yeah, I got a problem. You ranking my action. Well, good, because you're not being a man. Right. And then if you check his house out, you see his mama sitting up there. But girl, you know they all dogs, honey. I hear you. Ain't nothing but a dog. I don't want what nothing. That girl, do what you can. Get every dime you can get out of one of them fools. Girl, I hear you. And this kid grows up, he's being told he's a dog. His grandmama says it, his uncle says it, his mama says it, his aunt say it, their girlfriends say it. That's all he hears. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't tell this kid that he needs to come back on his shield or with it. They don't tell him to sit down and do work. I've had to counsel young men and on behalf of their grandmothers who had the idea because a near-the-well daughter is saying, I got a right, Mama, to go get drunk and get high. You know, these little, you know, ends, you know, they can't, you know, they get on your last nerve. Well, nobody told you to have four or five of them by three or four different babies' daddies, did they? No, but see, that's what we get because they make that look good, and we fall for it. Uh, and the thing we have, see, where 
Dubois talked about, have you ever heard this thing he said about we need a talented tent to help the race bootstrap it up, bootstrap itself up? Yes. I've heard well, that. how are we going to have that when the ideation that they put in our heads is a total dysfunction in terms of somebody's circumstance? Um, I talked to high school. And I'll say, all right, how many people in here want to be a pro basketball player? And all the young brothers put their hands up. I say, oh, all of you stand up. I say, all of you in the 12th grade remain standing. that want to be a basketball player, a pro basketball player. Okay, you, how in the devil are you going to be a pro basketball player and you aren't over five feet five? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Now you over here, you're 5'9". You're not going to be a pro basketball player. You up here, you might be close to tall enough, but you are too awkward and you're too stupid to get in college for anybody to discover you. That's right. And then you got more people in here that want to be a pro basketball player than they have in the whole NF- NBA. <laughs> Didn't anybody get the idea of be a businessman, doctor, lawyer, boss, or start a business? That's too boring. That's too corny. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with this? And then you look on TV, and what's the ideation? They got somebody drinking Gatorade, you know, and he's fantasizing about being a basketball player and sweat. Fool, go learn some magic. Get books. And speaking of magic, I know magic. I've known his family 35 years. He had a reputation at his high school for being a scholar. He's got about $26, $27 billion to invest, right, every year. That's what he does. And he'll tell you he went and became an athlete to get the state to become a businessman. All right? Wow. He thinks. He owns the Dodgers, owns a big chunk of the L.A. Rams, and owns a big chunk of the L.A. Lakers. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about sports, let's take the Dodgers, the Lakers, and the Rams. They have an interesting background. The Dodgers hired the first brother to play Major League Baseball, Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Rams hired the first brother to play in the NFL. His name was Kenny Washington. The Lakers hired the first brother to play in the NBA. His name was Don Barksdale. You know what they all had in common? Tell me. They were academic scholars at UCLA. You know what else is interesting? Jackie Robinson had never played baseball before. He ran track and played football. He was an All-American running track at UCLA, an honor student at UCLA on the dean's list, and he was an All-American football player. He held the American record in the 100-yard dash and the 220 at one time. Don Barksdale was a wide receiver on the UCLA's football team. He was an academic scholar. He had never played basketball, but the Lakers had. The only one that played in the same sport was Kenny Washington. People don't even know who he was. The Rams hired him in 1946. They hired Woody Strode in 1947. 
he was the actor, and they hired the first two black men out of Grambling, Dan Tyler and Tank Younger, 1949. Guess what Dan Tyler was? He was a full-tenured professor with the California State University. I used to date his secretary years ago. <laughs> All of these smart people. Right. But you see, they don't talk about that because, you know, oh, yeah, man, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. What are you going to do with it, fool, except give it the way somebody's going to work you? And what are you going to do about leading your community? See, I was a classmate at UCLA with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Big Lou. And when we had something to do, hey, man, they need some more black folk up in the econ department. Come on, man, let's go. Big Lou say, let's go. Big old seven-foot-tall self, seven-foot-two-inch-tall self. And he put it on the line. But you see, we got more black people in that institution. But it is interesting. When I got to UCLA in 1965, there were 62,000 full-time students, grad and undergrad. We had 72 full-time undergrad black students and 73 full-time black grad students. 66, 67, we all did our thing. We got another 250 in. 67, 68, we got another 250 in. But you see, that second 250 is like too much of the would-be black leadership now. Mm -hmm. They said, brothers, I appreciate what you did to get me in, you know, but I can't afford to jeopardize my career, and I'm not as heroic as you are, so you'll have to go <laughs> on without me. I'll be there in spirit with you. Grab that fool's ass and bring it. That's right. And see, one dude likes to front off uh, about what he did. He's dead now. And I feel sorry because I always owed him a butt whipping. And fortunately for him, he died before I could administer it. <laughs> but he used to front off about how he was all this in the BSU at UCLA. He was punking out, and we drug him to a thing, and there was LAPD, the campus police, highway patrol, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Stute had on some gray slacks. He peed all down his left leg, a pool of piss around his left foot. <laughs> and we had to hold on to him to keep him from running. Wow. See, that's the other thing. You have to be a brave man if you want to get somewhere. I'm not talking yes. about this hood rat stuff we do where we die. It ain't about bravery. It's a form of socially acceptable suicide. See, with the white folk, they go, oh, my God, did you hear about poor Charles? No, what happened? <laughs> oh, my God, you remember when he was talking about life had no meaning? Yes, I remember. Oh, God, you know he jumped out of his father's office building from the 27th floor? Oh, no. <laughs> In our community, it's like, hey, man, you hear about Stomp, man? No, man, what happened? Man, we was all over the hills, man. We had some fast smoke, man. It was some deep shot, man. Dude, to hit that glass, you know, man. Next thing we know, man, dude, down on the ground, man, phone come out his mouth, man, eyes done rolled up the top of the head, heel kicking, man. We did 911, man. But it's too late, man. Bust dude hard out for he gets to the emergency room. Hey, man, it's cold-blooded, man. I'm with Mama, don't freak. Ain't that the second one she done lost this year? 
Wow. Folks, find another victim in downtown, whatever in the hell it is. No, you don't get high, you're trying to die. And all these heroics out on the street, that ain't about bravery, that's about some fool trying to die. I grew up in South Central L.A. If you know where it is, they didn't call it that when I grew up. I grew up near the intersection of Slauson and Norman. And we'd have some little punk fools who would have snot running down their nose, crying for their mamas in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade, didn't have any daddy, but when they got to seventh, eighth grade, they joined a gang. Then it was the Slaussons, Vikings, uh, Dell Vikings, businessmen, Bobtown, De La Soul, and a bunch of other stuff. Then they became, mm-hmm. you know, down gangsters. You get some <laughs> little fool out there five feet five, and everybody used to run his butt home before he got in the gang with his posse and see the modern equivalent is, hey, man, check it out, sound man. Watch what I'm going to do, man. Hey, man, hey, man, you in the blue, man. What you looking at? Hey, man, don't you hear me talking to you, man? Hey, fool, you got on blue, don't you? You hear me talking to you? Man, brother, you talking to me? Yeah, man, I'm talking to you, man. What you looking at? I ain't doing nothing, man. I'm waiting on this bus to go home from my J-O-B. I ain't even got no job, fool. I don't care, man. What you looking at me? I'm not looking at you, young brother. You call me a lie, fool? Check it out, man. Check it out, man. Brother, I'm not calling you a lie. I don't need no house. Don't tell me what you don't need, man. Look, man, uh, don't walk up on me like that. I don't play that. You, you better go find somebody else to front off on. Don't tell me what I'm going to do, man. See somebody's gonna pop a cap on his food behind. <laughs> no. And he, he he wasn't being brave. He just hated himself. There was no daylight at the end of his tunnel. So he's trying to provoke anybody into doing him the favor of taking his life. That's it. I saw That's something it. years ago. I was a much younger man. I was still in school. I think it was law school. So me and uh, two, three other brothers, we stopped in the liquor store. We got some six-pack of brew. You know, we're walking out. There's this brother with a yellow windbreaker on walking out behind. He's cool, dude, you know. Well, I'd seen him in the neighborhood. So we get outside. We walk into the cars, and then there's somebody at a deuce in the quarter. That's a Buick. Mm-hmm. And both front doors were open. Yeah, and... uh this woman was in there, and she's talking about this guy. Man, you ain't no good. Your breath stink, your teeth bad, you ain't got no money, ain't got no clothes, you can't do this, can't do that. Oh, baby, don't talk like that about me, but I talk about this. You no good fool living off of me, blah, blah, blah. So everybody's looking at this scene. So this fool doesn't say anything to me and my own boys, but you know, but the guy behind in the yellow, he just glanced up. What you looking at, fool? I really don't know, man. You looking at me? And my woman? I'm not looking at your woman, man. You call my woman ugly? I'm not talking about your woman. <laughs> See, baby, he looking at you. See, I stand up for you. And he walks over. Fool. You call me a lie? No, I'm not calling you a lie, but I got better things to do, man. Why don't you go on back and deal with your life? Don't tell me what I'm going to do, fool. I'll cut your gizzard out, fool. What? Yeah, man. And then he walked over to the car, reached in the glove compartment. The guy, when the yellow windbreaker pauses, 
But when this dude pulls out this little sheath knife, the guy in the yellow starts relaxing. Me and all my guys, we say, oh, man, hey, let's get some engine block between us and what's about to happen. <laughs> this fool walks over with the knife in his hand. Look here, man. You here? You you trying to talk about my woman, man? I ain't I ain't stealing that, man. It ain't gonna happen, man. Not like that, man. He said, Look, man. You need to go back over there and get your stuff together. You ranking yourself? Don't tell me what I'm gonna do. And he swung in. I was very tolerant. He jumped back. Don't do that. Swung again, and he cut the sleeve on his windbreaker. So that's the last time, fool. Lunges <laughs> <laughs> at him again. He pulls his thirty-eight out. Bam! You a dumb fool. Bam, you selling wolf tickets, fool. Bam, I want a whole book of them. Bam, to the premier com- uh, concert. Bam, and I want an encore, fool. And he shot the dude in the arm, chest, well, upper chest and in the legs. This dude laying down on the ground, keying on himself. Oh, you don't kill me, you don't kill me, oh, this hurt. So dude goes and gets in the car, right, drives off the woman. That he was the fool that got shot was with walks over and say, You fool, you done got yourself killed. Reaches in his pocket. <laughs> you leave your dumb ass right there. Left him on the ground. He peeing all on himself. So when LAPD gets there, first everybody says, No, nah, man, I didn't see nothing. And then one old brother, Yeah, I saw everything. I'm like, What? So, yeah, that dude on the ground. See that knife over there? He was trying to hold this man up. And then everybody chimed in. Yeah, that's right. He did. Sure did. Wow. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a taste of dude all over. Man, cut the dude. I think he was running off to the emergency room because the dude cut his arm up. Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't got this fool on the ground. Oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. See, that's what I call selling wolf tickets. We do that too that's right. much. And that's because you got no sense with no daylight at the end of your tongue. And I'm going to run it. If I said this on the air, stop me. But I think I told it to you. It's about how this stuff got started. Back in the, uh, another way it got started. See, that was a way out of this. Back in the 60s. It didn't cost you anything to go to the University of Illinois. It didn't cost you to go anything New York University. It didn't cost you anything to go to UCLA or uh, University of California or the state college system or the city college. That was free mm-hmm. because education was looked at as something that was part of the national defense. Kennedy was talking about we're going to get a man on the moon before the decade is out. So I remember a homeboy of mine and I were going around recruiting people for college. When we got to be seniors, and I wound up getting in grad school, him too. And we would talk to people like there was a place called Jordan Downs in L.A., which was one hellacious set of projects. And I remember we were up in there. And the brother was saying, man, you serious about we can get in college, man, there's money available? See, yeah, brother. What I got to do, man? Well, look, going over to the rec room, I need about some paperwork. Somebody help you fill that out, man. Let me go, man. I got to get out. I'm going to get on up, man, get myself together. 
you know, power to the people. You know, everybody gave the power fist, wearing the afros, some people wearing dashiki. You know, it was the thing to be. And then talk to his sister, brother, I got to get out of here. I'm going over there now. I'm filling this paperwork out. Then you run into a knucklehead. He done lost your mind. I can't work and say if I want to keep getting my checks, I got to come over here and talk to you, fool. I ain't going to no school. I ain't going to work no damn job now. All I got to do is flat back, spread, get knocked up, and get a bit of kick. You fools think I'm going to do something. You go to hell. See, we left that kind behind. And they kept breathing and putting that stupidity in their children. And that spread around the community, and that became the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody was getting on up and doing it, and I think what happened is the people that were progressing just left everybody there. And unfortunately, there was no more leadership in the community. And then we had some folk who held themselves out as being down brothers with the community, but they were being informants for the FBI. Yeah. Yes, IS unit for LAPD and such like, or the equivalent in New York or Chicago or wherever it may be, or Miami somewhere, and they're selling out the black community. You know, they're snitching on everybody, and people started to distrust each other. Then Nixon got in the White House, and then the gang thing um, got back is a popular thing. And then it's like, there was hope, and I remember one specific example, and this is on point. A friend of mine and I were playground directors at a place called Trinity Avenue Elementary School in East Los well, going over to East Los Angeles, which is one of the worst areas in town. But we hooked something up, and we got everybody, including the real gangsters, over there on our side because we were doing something with the kids. But we had two interesting people on our playground. One of them has died recently. He was the singer Barry White, but he was a skinny little 13-year-old then. Mm-hmm. And there was another young brother who was real, real smart. And the problem was is his mother didn't have good sense. But we tried, but we couldn't get a way to get him out of the hood. So he mm-hmm. was like in the swamp, but he just became the worst fiend alligator in the swamp. That was Tookie Williams who started one of the gangs, last person they executed in California. Mm-hmm. Wrote all these children's books and the governor wouldn't commute the sentence. But I remember him. He's smart as he could be, but, you know, he, he just got trapped. Right. So the enterprise that could have been used for a purpose if mama didn't help the situation out, it just got turned to a corrupt in a corrupt direction. See, so it's like what we do is some, it's a series of things that are not in our interest. And we need to start getting this principle of real manhood back so when we look in the mirror in the morning, we self-direct and say, no, uh uh-uh, this isn't what I need to be doing. That's right. And we don't have that. It's like, why are you doing this? Oh, man, it's about pimping, man. Now, I hear that a lot now. You can even get apps, you know, pimp your ride or pimp the app. 
<laughs> white folks don't know what the hell they're doing. The lowest, limiest creature on the planet is a pimp. Old time in the jail or the penitentiary used to be next to the bottom, just above the pedophile. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that with some authority because at one point in Memphis, I was one of the defense lawyers that represented a whole lot of pimps and hoes. They kept the rent paid. Mm-hmm. All right? But pimps are some slimy people. They have a, a, a false impression that they can turn a woman out. Pimps can't turn women out. What they run into is a victim. And this goes to some other stuff that's going wrong in our neighborhood. I got so I could predict who the young girls were going to be that would turn into hoes. Mm-hmm. I for somebody that had poor self-esteem. Mm-hmm. The girl would honestly think she was no good, ugly, and stupid, even if she was pretty and smart. See, people have a need to be accepted as they perceive themselves. So when the pimp tells her she's dumb, ugly, and stupid, and nobody loves her but him, she says, and he really sees me as I am, so he must really care for me, whereas all these other fools tell me I'm fine and I'm smart just trying to get in my panties. Well, they do anyway. Right. And then they give the money to the pimp. The pimp saying, my money. Oh, where's my money? What? You didn't do anything to earn it. But then you know where they come from? If you meet the mamas and the grandmamas. See, the mamas and the grandmamas take them to church every Sunday. And five or six times a week for choir practice, Bible study, and the rest of it. And the preacher, not all preachers, but some of the preachers are running the game on them. They beg them for every dime they don't have and pass the collection plate seven or eight times every service. Get them donating money. And see, the preacher is getting up there telling them they're no good, low-down sinners, and they're going to hell but for. So they get a negative concept, and the mamas and the grandmothers think they're, and the aunts think they're doing something. It's just a no-good girl. She's just too pretty. These men's going to get a hold of her. I know she's just going to be a trial in the tribulation all my whole life. She's just going to mm. be a hog. And see, they listen to that. And see, when the woman sells two slices of pie more than anybody else, preacher stands up in front of the church and gives a recognition. The hoe is number three in the stable, sells more booty for the night than the dude's bottom hoe, and he gets the... He walks in the club with her on the arm, and she gets sitting in front of Cadillac. It's a game. True. And my money. What you mean, my money? But then, see, I peep that, too. That's a, it's a psychological game. It's like being a man is interesting. You have to give your mother, your grandmother, your aunts, the women in your lives, your secretaries, the women that work closely with you, your girlfriend, whatever, you got to get them good presents, right? What you get is a pair of socks, a strange-looking tie, <laughs> and if you, if it's a Christmas spirit or something, you get an excuse to go get yourself a new golf club, pistol, shotgun, jacket, you know, pair of shoes or something, and you feel justified in treating yourself, okay? Now, 
if your wife, girlfriend, daughter, co-worker, or uh, secretary gives you something, hell, you're paying them, but you giving them the money. That's your money. That's just coming back to you. But you feel good. <laughs> it's the thought. See, that, that's what's going on with that pimp hole thing. You know, the woman's giving him all the money, and, you know, he doles out a little of her money back to her. And she thinks he's protecting her because she doesn't <laughs> get out on the whole track. All you got to do is get off the whole track. You know, but see, it's a game where the pimp can't turn a woman into a hoe. She has already turned that way by her preacher, grandmama, mama, and her aunt. Yes. And what she runs into in the home environment, he just is a parasite who can see that. We have all kinds of ideations. Sag, bagged, and dragged. You know that's the style. I talked to a brother uh, a week ago. I ran into him at a restaurant. I saw what he was trying to do. He had visitation. So he had two kids, three kids out with him. I asked him if they're there, his, and he said, oh, you're doing now. So we talked. I said, brother, can you do me a favor? I said, you got a daughter and two sons. <clears throat> Don't you want them to grow up? I said, yeah. I said, brother, pull your pants up. What? I said, do you know where that comes from? Yeah, man, I'm hip, man. Lower the sag, the cooler the do. No, that's not what that comes from. I said, let me tell you a story. First time I saw that was in... Oh, that was about July, August, 1980. Law partner of mine had died unexpectedly. Suddenly, somebody shot him. Prog <coughs> thing. Some people he was representing. And I inherited some of his clients. Well, one of these people was in a penitentiary, and I got I had to do a late appeal for him. So the air conditioning had broken down in the attorney-client visitation room. So we're sitting out on the yard, and I've got a yellow pad, and I'm writing. Then I see this dude walk by with his pants hung down low, and boxer shorts showing at the top, and his shirt was all banged. Now, usually the people in the penitentiary tailor their jeans and their shirts, so they look all right. They can't wear belts. And I'm looking at this dude. The client looked at me and said, Oh, Lawyer Brown, what you looking at, man? I said, What the hell is that? He said, Oh, man, you mean dude with his pants hung down? I said, Yeah. He said, Man, like this, man. Some of us up in here doing short time like him. Most of us up in here, we doing either long time or life. We got basically everything we had on the outside except the right kind of soft booty. So we trying to turn these dudes out, man, these short timers, so we have what we call up in here man pussy. So we make them dress like that with them pants hung down low. So see them trees over there when the guards ain't around, anybody see them like that, we bend them down, pull them down, and get down. And if they try to run, they fall to their ankles, and they fall down booty up in the air. There it is. So, like, when he get on the wall, you know, on the block, we make him take his pants off, won't let him wear no drawers, and that baggy shirt, that's his dress. See, Jamal done got his baby sister send the care package up here with rouge, mascara, eyeshadow, 
plastic nails and lipstick, and we already done made him some jewelry up in metal shop. See, we turning dude out. We girling him out. I'm looking at this, and then a few years later, I was over at a girlfriend's house, and we were looking at TV, and his crisscross came on either BET or MTV, and they sagged, bagged, and dragged. Now, say ain't that something. Looking like they're getting turned out. And then a few decades or two later, uh, by the end of the 80s or early 90s, that was the symbol that you belonged to somebody important, so just everybody wasn't supposed to turn you out. Mm-hmm. And see, that's that thing going on up in that penitentiary that they don't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'd get cases in my courtroom where somebody was already on my docket, but they didn't charge with something else, and I'm reading the arrest report they wrote up in the jail. Jail... The jail was crowded, and we had to overflow on mattresses in the hallways when it was reported that the victim woke up being drugged into a cell block by the below-described seven defendants, and he was pinned down, and his pants were ripped off, and he was asked, does he want spit, KY, or Vaseline, or soap? And he was sodomized by the following seven individuals several repeatedly, they suffered a torn anus, and we are sphincter, and we have transported him to the med for emergency treatment. So you're looking up at these four or five OGs that are on your docket already. Uh, yeah, man, you grabbed that booty, didn't you? And it's a practice. So it always gets me, somebody's walking around, he can't walk, he's got a funny kind of wide-led wall. Well, they walk so his <laughs> pants don't fall down. And he thinks he's looking all this and that, but he looks like he's man pussy or being turned into it up in the joint 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. He don't even have a clue. This thing about baseball caps turned at the funny kind of angle, you know, mm-hmm. I remember my grandfather, who was a very interesting gentleman. He lived to be a hundred, uh, about a hundred, and he was born before the Civil War, but he was free. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I was about five years old, and I had on a baseball cap, and I turned it like that, and he knocked it off my head. He said, boy, he said, before they had the Civil War, and I was about 12, 14 by the time it was over. They didn't have baseball caps. They had these engineer caps. He said only free men could wear the cap with the bill straight ahead. Slaves had to wear it to the side and to the back to identify themselves as slaves so the people could go check them for their papers. Don't you ever let me see you like that. It's funny, you know, but everybody thinks that's hip. So, man, you look like you get turned out up in the joint. You become a man pussy for some long-timers or some lifers, or you got your baseball cap looking like the slaves were required to look like. I didn't just even funny. Years ago, when they first started coming out with these one-size-fits-all, you know, nobody liked that, and then they stopped making them in sizes, and then they started making them again. 
Well, Major League Baseball started putting out some of them, and they came straight with those little iridescent stickers to show they were genuine. But they came with instructions. They said, don't wear your cap with the bill flat. That's lame. Here's how you shape it. This is if you're bold. This is if you are adventurous. This is if you are aggressive. And they showed you how to shape the bill. So when I see people now wearing a flat baseball cap with a flat brim on it, and I say, yeah, that used to be in the sporting goods stores 25 years ago, it's they do not wear your brim flat, that's lame. And, you know, you got to show you really got an original Major League Baseball official cap size, so you leave the sticker on for everybody to see. Oh, man, goodness, take the price tag off, take the sticker off. But that's the style. That's from a period in time about 20-some years ago when nobody had anything and you just got a little piece of something. Everybody wanted to show out, look what I got. You know, it's some crazy. But, you know, that's the style. I don't know. I'd like to ask you a question. Back in the day, I can remember... I was born in 1963. I'm going to be 55 in April of this year. And I was raised by some conscious parents up in Washington Heights, New York, in Manhattan, and eventually down to Richmond Hill, Queens. My father had his own business, which allowed me to travel around during the summer vacations and on the weekends. I grew up in a two-parent household. And I remember, because I used to read an awful lot, I follow boxing a lot, and I remember Al Sharpton being someone who wore wires to investigate Don King. But when I look after that now, I can hardly find any trace of that. And I know that Al Sharpton has been a very shady character who gets a lot of press and media coverage and even his own shows at times when it suits the slave masters. Now, we know Malcolm X would have never gotten a talk show. What is it? What is the real deal about Al Sharpton? Is he... Uh, an agent who's ordained by the government to be a pressure valve um, to say things that sound right but never let us get any action and revolution? Is he handpicked? That's what I really want to ask. Well, let me say this. Remember my earlier remarks about the very few straight black men in Hollywood who don't read a script? Yes. They like certain kind of black men. They're very popular. If you play that game, they play. Here you go. Somebody used to be seen an awful lot in James Brown's company. They were good friends? Uh, More than good friends. Used to carry them around everywhere. That I'm not saying what they did, but <laughs> you know, and the only people that are black and male that Hollywood seems to like, you know, I'm not saying it, but some other people are saying that they have these. See, what it is is you're not a threat if you are right. somebody that's a sex object. For other males. Which goes to another point. It sickened me that for 18 months leading up to this last election, 
in 2016, the Democratic Party spent all of that time fighting about who gets to piss in the girls' bathrooms. You know? Mm-hmm. That is, that's what's popular. See, so uh, the people that Hollywood loved, they either make them a lot of money and they get tolerated or they play that same game that the Hollywood management does. Now, I'm not going to say anything, but I was on the Oscar and Emmy board, all right? So every time they have these Oscar and Emmy, you know, affairs and galas and stuff, they'd send out all these emails. And every email would have one or two LGBT links, right? LGBTQ, they called it now. Mm-hmm. And out of curiosity, not that kind of curiosity, I checked it out. And they claim that 85 to 90% of the people that work in Hollywood, whether you're a producer, director, writer, actor, or executive, you are a practicing LGBTQ. Yeah. Now, if you're popular with that bunch, there you go. So I just, that I uh, let's, for purposes of liability at this point, let's just leave it there. You get the exactly. idea. I read this loud and clear, and I, 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 I totally appreciate uh, your expressions, and I do understand legalities, but you answered the question quite well and quite bulletproof, if I may add. And let me add. say this. Let me say this. I've, had, I've seen preachers get up in the pulpit and preach against it. But I've also seen a preacher to get up in the pulpit and admit that he's a practitioner. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's minister of music is a little prancer, you know, tends to be. Uh-huh. And they don't talk against it because I guess they don't want to cut out the floating contributions instead of the type that goes clink into the collection plate. But see, our preachers need to start preaching about young ladies, keep your legs closed. That's right. Uh, some of this stuff gets ludicrous. I mean, I, I used to politic for people, and, I, and sometimes I even had a preacher get me up there to do the 11 o'clock message a time or two. Uh, but I've also been up there sitting in the pulpit with the preacher not yet out, but with some of the deacon board at at least one church I can remember. And all of these girls were young women were sitting in the front row. They were young and they had on short skirts and everything. And they were flashing at me and the deacons. And I could see they didn't have on any underwear. Mm -hmm. And, I'm trying to keep a straight face because it was funny to me, but one of these deacons gets up and he starts saying, before the preacher come, Reverend, come out here, the deacon board done had some things come to his attention. There are some members of this congregation that is turning their nose up at other members of this congregation. Now, some of the young women in this congregation who are becoming good members of this congregation 
they just don't have a lot of economic wherewithal, so they can't afford garments with a great deal of cloth in them. Cost a lot. And people is ridiculing them because of their scanty attire. But you know the Lord sent you here in a birthday suit. And I have it on good authority that they sometimes is right inspirational for the Reverend. And you know the Reverend sometimes speak good words that connect us with the Lord. Sure he do. Uh, one of the arts I've developed from time to time is being able to keep a straight face. <laughs> no, it is what it is. Wow. I, I got a little thing about that. Some of these black churches need to start grooming some of the people that are in these churches to do something of economic consequence. And they need to start taking the money and putting it together in entities that dispense loans on a commercial basis to do investments instead of the preacher getting his wife a new mink coat or everybody say we got to have our reverend in a new car. He's driving an 18-month-old car and the reverend at the second hole in this tabernacle of the third coming is driving a brand new 550 Mercedes Benz. That makes us look bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. And these church building fronts. Years ago, an economics professor out at UCLA who was a personal friend, this is back in the 80s, late 80s, I just happened to stop through, and he asked me to take a look at a list of churches in Memphis and ask me if I recognized them. I said, yeah, I do. So that's these are black churches. Not all of them. He said, yeah, but you know what the point is? He said, in the next 25 years, their mortgage payments that they're going to take out of the black community are going to equal somewhere around $9 billion. What wow. do you think your community could do with that amount of money over the next 30 years put into investments and black enterprise. And see, look at the people who represent you. Watch stuff like zoning variances for black folk you've got on the county or the city commission or council or whatever, and check out if they're cracking down on adult entertainment or stuff like that or got some little crank cars. That's usually a cover from when they're doing something under the table to help mm -hmm. out big interest in the town instead of dispensing the money like they got elected to do it for purposes that promote the overall economy. Watch mm -hmm. out for these characters that go around trying to say that what we're doing is trying to bring tourism or business into the city. No, they're just giving it away. Mm -hmm. yeah. You got to be careful. The juvenile court down here in Memphis Shelby County has a slush fund that they've got in a non-interest bearing account. It's somewhere between twenty and twenty-five million dollars. They've been using it to leverage Tea Party politics all over the state of Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Oklahoma. And they ought to go to a federal penitentiary for doing it, but nobody touches it. 
lot of our black leadership, if you saw the juvenile court records, they got all kinds of little undercover paternity matters that they can't do anything about, otherwise it would hit the fans, so they've been nicely controlled to do what they are told to do. Mm-hmm. Keep it in your pants, you know? Wear a raincoat. But too many have that problem. See, we've got some poison going on, and our ideation is just bad. Okay. Uh, the excuses I hear, too, about black enterprise. Now, you go into Jamaica, man, that right? That's right. <laughs> Watch out when you get up, man, in the morning, man, when the sun be up 7 a.m., man. You see down there on the side of Queen Elizabeth Highway, man, you see... In Jamaica, you see, man got him a shop, man. He'd be out of uh, parking crates, but he'd be selling his banana and plantain, man. He'd be doing business. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You you, you got Brother Keston over here laughing, man. If you're in New York, you know what it is. Nobody African-American gets any play in New York anymore. It's all Caribbean American. White folk get down to Jamaica mine into the Bahamas. They, you know, need a four for a round of golf. It's the bank vice president and he's black, you know, or the official, he's black. But then they got games down in the Bahamas. They got a game down there. They have these banks where they spend more time with the island's district attorney handling American matters because they allow things to be set up in perpetuity. They won't allow Bahamians to put money in their, some of their own banks. They got to go over to Switzerland to do it, but they'll take anybody else's money and cover up so they can have these trusts that they can set up from now until never, which is against American law. But like one prime minister had me over there and I don't mind. Uh, it was kind of rank. One had me over there was for a pretty good purpose. Another one had me over there for a pretty good purpose. Another one had me over there. He wanted me to talk to some youth. Now, in the Caribbean, the youth go from 18 to 35, not from zero to 18. So I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm talking to the youth, and I'm sitting around this table, and one of the youth is saying, Judge Brown, we appreciate your wisdom, man. But see the man across from me, he got contract on me life, man. That'd be his bodyguard next to him. I got contract on their life, too. But see, we have peace or truce. No point killing each other over the crumbs because we have a big cake. We could be doing something here with man. So I'm saying, okay, so what happens is the prime minister has gotten them to help him in the election, and he's double-crossing them because one somebody's bodyguard has no criminal record other than a funky arrest he had when he was 18 or so, and he was getting an arrangement to get it expunged. So I go back and tell him, I said, man, you know, you're talking about criminality. They have more money than your government does, and they're trying to help this out. Look, did you talk to this is your law enforcement here, the constabulary, you know? They had a break-in at some Duke's uh, summer home over here, and two hours after it got put out, they had the culprits with zip ties 
you know, tying their hands behind their backs and their feet on the precinct station house steps with confessions taped to their chest. You don't get wow. that? And then you talk about your daddy, uh, this might identify him. Your daddy was a taxi driver, but then I find out you can't operate a taxi or a limo without an official license plate, but you haven't issued any new ones except replacements since 1973. And from your daddy, you got 150 of them, and you selling them for 100 grand a piece a year. <laughs> you know, like yeah, okay. Judge, brother Kester, my brother-in-law here. $20,000, man, and you sitting up here got me talking to these gangsters? You know, some of them have some interesting ideas about moving the islands on up. But then, look, you go over to Atlantis. You've been to Atlantis and Freeport? Yes, you're The resort? I have been there. Yes, I've been there. You know the bridges over there? They have the yes. locals playing tolls to get over there, and the locals paid for the bridges, but they don't charge the hotel people for that. You get a right. new refrigerator in, and you're a Bahamian, and you're running a business, you got to pay an ungodly amount of excise and luxury tax on that. But if you run that over there, you don't. The government's supposed to get not a cut of the gambling. It's just they paid certain people up front, and that's the end of it, and there's a certain percentage of the slot. Uh, machines that's supposed to go to the government, but they don't get it because certain people intercept it. Right. You know, we, we could have that as a locus of business, but you see, you can't do that if you got a problem. Now, in Jamaica, they're much better together, but see, Jamaica is interesting, and I'm going to tell that tale I told you earlier today about this governor general that had me over there as a guest and he had been a professor at one of the universities in the Detroit area. You remember mm -hmm. the anecdote I'm telling you about? So every yes. year he brings several sets of brothers over from Detroit. So he had about 10 or 12 brothers over there, and they'd been there for about a week, and the, his excellency says, Judge Brown, would you do me the big favor, sir? I brought these young men over here, and I promised him him everything, and they seem to have a grievance that I have been concealing something from them. I said, okay, what is it? Uh, judge, we got a question. See, his essence over here say, like, look, he going to show us everything. I said, I think he is. No, he ain't. I said, well, what's the matter? When he going to show us the white folks that run this island? I said, <laughs> <laughs> Brother, this is the governor general. I said, what do you think this is you're in? He said, some kind of government office building. I said, this is a palace. A what? You know, like if Prince Charles or the Queen of England visit, that's where they stay. There's this house. Mm -hmm. What you mean? Like, this is the boss, man. Prime Minister can't sit unless he approves him. You get ready, you get sentenced to die. He can, he can, you know, he can cut you loose. So anyway, you know that there's just a difference in attitude between us and some place else where they actually take care of the business. But I, I just, I just want yeah. to mention something to you. Um, Your Honor, um, 
over there in Jamaica, you know, one thing I am familiar with that I, I have found out for myself that all of these Jamaican politicians are bought out by the, the American politicians. Um, they get I a great... Go there. I didn't go there, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 you know, I'm speaking as because I'm a native of the island, so experiencing certain things over there and knowing what's going on, you know, having, you know, certain inside information of what's happening in, in, in a country like Jamaica because a lot of the youths in Jamaica are adapting the, the same principle that we see here now. You know, it's a whole different attitude with the same sagging pants underwear showing, you know, the attitude and these different things. When I was growing up in the island, that was not the case. Discipline was enforced. Oh, you know, community was... I've been going over was, there for 35 or more years, actually. It wasn't that way before. Right. You're exactly right. You know, they had me lecturing, or they, they had me as a speaker at an outdoor ceremony they had in one of the big parks, Liberation Park, downtown Kingston. Is that the name of the thing? It's been about five, yes. six years, seven years. Okay. And I was telling the crowd, I said, look, we're trying to copy what you see on the media from America. You have a great thing going here. You've got a good culture. You run this place yourselves. Yes. good or bad, don't try to get caught up in this thing the way they got caught up in it. You had the Maroons. The Maroons ended slavery. Yes. They didn't have yes. to have anybody emancipate you. Yes. You know, don't listen to former slaves who needed somebody to set them free, Master Lincoln, and they still haven't done anything with it. You set yourself free. You've got some yes. great traditions. Honor them and stop getting corrupted by this nonsense you see coming up from uh, the states, you know? I right. agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, so, you know, the thing is for me, I am one of, one of my things that I'm trying to do right now is to help young Jamaican, young American black man to see their worth in life. Because I, I believe that in my perspective, religion is not helping us. Politics is not helping us. So we have to start some grassroots movements to get things off the ground. And we have to start from the young because the young, the youth, you know, those on their, in their teens and their 20s, that's, that's who we have to go after and try to get them to, to see a different way. And that's one of my things that I'm trying to do because I believe that's where we need to go because none of these, these institutions are really gearing us towards where we need to be as black men, where we need to stand up for family and stand up for community. And so that's why, for me, I really don't care. I don't, I don't care what anyone says, but I know that there's things that need to be done, and I'm going to do it because you can't be in fear of your life or anything else because you, I believe the Creator has put us here for a reason, and that is to help each other to stand up from this system that is beating us down. I second what you say. Hey, you haven't said anything. I find anything to disagree with. And, and I mean, I truly appreciate the wisdom that you are putting out here. You know, I mean, I always admire your show because you always, I like when you get a, a young black man on your show 
you you try to show them the way and i always respect that and i don't see other judges do that you know or, or take them into account that they need help they need direction they need to be steered and so that's why i can say i sit here and i listen to your words of wisdom and it's truly truly appreciate and you know give me more drive and more fortitude to to go ahead and to help others see the wisdom that you are giving to us as as one of the the holder heads that we should respect thank you you know what that's about i grew up in a traditional family i idolized my old man you know he was something special to me and it got put in my head about manhood. Every time I turned around, it was act like a man. A man does this. A man doesn't do that. Boy, men don't do that. Boy, why are you not doing this? This is what you need to practice to be a man. I heard that so much. You know, it was like breathing. But I don't right. hear that now. Yes. And it's a matter of pride to do the right thing. I feel good sometimes about stuff that might not be the easiest thing to do, might not be the most profitable thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Right. And some people just don't get that. And it's like, doesn't it mean something to you? There's a thing, here's a little test I give to check somebody's manhood out. You might want to have them out drinking wine or beer or something so they loosen up. What is it in? We know veritas. That's the Latin. And wine, there's truth. It's a little thing I pose to them. I said, look, let's suppose it's 300 years ago, 1,000 years ago, wherever you want to be anywhere on the planet. And let's say you've gone off hunting and you've been successful and you've got an antelope across your shoulders and you're coming back to the village. And as you're coming down the trail, you become aware of the fact that there is a war party getting ready to fall on your village unsuspectingly. All right? Mm-hmm. What do you do? There's nobody looking. Do you quietly turn around and run off? Or do you set the alarm? Do you warn your village? Do you attack from the rear to create a diversion? So maybe your village will have a chance to arm and defend itself. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how many will say, I'd run away. Yeah. Wow. Run away? Yes. Why not? Nobody's looking. I said, but the most important witness in the world is watching. You said nobody's looking, but what about you? How could you live with right. yourself? Here you go. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Here you go. And 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 that's the thing that we have to really is always and and I I keep saying it's not about individuality it's about community because I grew up in that set and I tell a lot of people I grew up with my mother raising four children by herself and a lot of people a lot of young guys will say I didn't have a father I didn't grow up with a father but my mother instilled that in 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 me and my brother. And the the older guys in the community also help to instill that in us. You see, yes, they take us in their hand. And exactly. And so everybody was looking after us. We couldn't do anything wrong in the street because you could be disciplined in the street um, by anyone, any neighbor, because within a 20-mile range, everybody knows your family. And to right. me, that, right. that was community. You know, you respect everybody. You see a older person. 
Mr., Mrs., good morning, good afternoon. You have to respect your elders, and, and that is missing from society today. And so that's why we have to come back full circle. And so we have to get these young men and women to come back full circle to that point where we can respect the elderly and take care of them because that's part of our responsibility. Yeah, and something I used to do in court was interesting. I said, do you have a problem with saying yes, sir, no, sir, ma'am, please, thank you, pardon me, excuse me? I ain't going to disrespect myself like, like I got somebody better than me. I said, do you notice that all of the businessmen, doctors, lawyers, important folk, they are very polite with each other? The most powerful people in the world are polite with each other. The court, me, I'm being polite with you. Now, you can be polite with everybody else because you can't have respect if you don't show it. Exactly. You know? exactly. And what you said is something interesting. See, sometimes circumstances are such that there is not going to be a father around by accident, by death by divorce, by what the father does or what's, what's happened in life. But you see, the mothers, as I said earlier, used to appreciate what men were good for because they had a need for men, including their sons, to eventually become good for that. Right. I tell you what I tell women when they don't get the point. I said, let me give you an example of why need to understand a per what a purpose of a man is for okay you're a successful uh professional woman right yes i can pay for myself i don't need a man paying for myself okay fine um it's 2 17 a.m in the morning and you are upstairs in bed in your condo or your townhouse and you hear glass breaking on the first floor wouldn't you like to have a competent man be there with you to get up, go down, and see what that broken glass is about? Yes. Absolutely. That's what it's all about, but they don't understand that. They sell all kinds of work tickets, but I, I, I'll give an example. There's a woman I know who is a college professor. And a mutual friend is a gentleman who's been a close friend of mine for 50-some years. We're real close, known each other for years. Uh, Black Belt Magazine calls him most probably the dangerous, most dangerous human alive in North America. He's also been a college professor, and he has a Ph.D. And this friend of ours, the female who is the college professor, is a Filipino, and she had some very profound martial arts skills, especially with a screamer. At one time, quite a long time ago, in full contact women's karate, she was the undefeated women's world, world champion, all right? But now, Somebody was messing with her, and she calls Cliff up. That's his name, Cliff Stewart, Master Cliff Stewart. 
And some women wanted to know with what her credentials were, why did she need to call up this guy? Because he's a guy and I'm a woman and there's no getting around it. I know skills, but good Lord. You know, a woman can't do what a man can do. Don't get fooled by what you see in the movies. Exactly. Speaking of which, this latest Star Wars. I used to like Star Wars because it was a good exercise in courage, bravery, right, wrong, principle, and discipline, you know, this whole thing. Uh, it was good. But this last one they had, they had all of the males in there that were strong on the dark side. Yep. Males that were not on the dark side, they were foolish. So elder women had to straighten them out. They had this young girl who's had no Jedi training, but she's better than Luke Skywalker, uh, Yoda, and all the rest of the Jedi. Put in Darth Vader's grandson, the Chief Sith Lord. She's better than he is, and she's got no training, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've got a black guy in there, and they sneak out that, Although he was a stormtrooper that defected, what did he do? He was the janitor. You know, so, yeah, down him. And then he's supposed to be a sometime hero, but when he and this Asian chick are trying to flee from somebody that's trying to catch him and they're on this wild steed, he's hanging on for dear life behind her, not the other way around, talking about he's scared, slow down. I found that absolutely disgraceful. It was a chick flick fantasy. Have you seen the latest one, the DC comic thing, uh, the Justice League? No, I haven't seen that one. They've got Superman, Batman. uh, They've got Cyborg in there. He's the brother. They've got uh, Aquaman in there, and all of them are badass. So who's the leader? Wonder Woman. No. (laughs) Have you checked out what Wonder Woman is about? The guy that invented Wonder Woman is the same guy that invented the polygraph test. He was a freak. He and his wife had a mutual girlfriend that lived with him for 15 years, and they were into S&M, and she was the dominatrix. She had tied them up and whipped them. And he said women should be in charge of men. That's sick. Next thing he put in there was that she was a lesbian who turned bisexual later on. In the first (laughs) comic book, she and her lesbian lover had an invisible stealth airplane. So to help out Allied intelligence, they'd fly into Nazi Germany. And Wonder Woman in this Amazon would seduce the wives of Nazi generals to get information. So then when the Korean War came along, she and her Amazon lover would go in and uh, seduce the wives of communist leaders. And that was a dynamic because she started going by with this Army Air Corps captain, a pilot, And her Amazon lover got weirded out. Now, she has the coils of restraint 
the lasso of truth, and she used to be in the dominance and torture in the comic books, which if you ever see some of the earlier ones and you know what you're looking at, you see that. Right now, yeah. for the kids on the cartoon channel, right now, They've got an animated Justice League with Batman, Superman, um, Wonder Woman, and whatever. And Wonder Woman has an Amazon lover. And the Amazon lover thinks she's got a thing with Superman. So the Amazon lover is trying to get Lois Lane to peep this action to come in and break Superman up from Wonder Woman, which ain't what's happened, but the Amazon <laughs> lover is jealous. And then Batman sits back trying to be cool and mediate all this mess. <laughs> That's what they're showing the junior high school kids. Another thing, watch what they show your younger kids. They've got one on, I think, that is an abomination. It's called <laughs> Doc McStuff. Yeah. Some white lesbians write it produce it, and direct it. It's a cartoon. The principal mm -hmm. character is this black female physician, and she's got a big old butt. She's got <laughs> a daughter who wants to be a physician, and the daughter's got a magic necklace that makes stuffed animals come alive. So she doctors on the neighborhood's toy animal, toys and stuffed animals. She's got a slightly younger brother, and they make him an idiot. Well, disgracefully, her black husband is a stay-at-home drone, so he wears a frilly apron, and the mother brags to her white female physician friends and one or two black female physician friends how wonderfully her husband cooks, and he's such a great housekeeper. And he does this to sacrifice for his wife so she can advance her career. And they've got all sorts of negative imagery in there about manhood, and it comes on four and five times a day for elementary school kids. Wow. Wow. Very disgusting. We don't do anything like that to offset it. Oh, that's mm -hmm. freedom of speech, First Amendment. So we, we but gotta, you know, we gotta, yeah, we have we to gotta, do something. Yeah, we got to counter that, and that's why we got to get, we got to try to, like I said, start grassroots movements because all of these bigger organizations, the churches and all these different the schools, they're not really doing anything to help our young ones to really fortify themselves against a system that is continue trying to, you know, to put us into these situations that we are seeing today. So we have to stand up. And anytime we, you know, we as young, younger black male have to realize the importance and the job that we have to do in our community. Well, here's another thing, too. California, for example. Again, they've got a right to do this. First Amendment but we need to do something to push back a bit. They start teaching the kids about homosexual acceptance in the third grade. So they have these animated features they show the kids. One of them that I'm seeing that I've seen says, "My brother, big brother likes to dance. 
he likes to go to clubs and dance. He likes to dress up like a girl and go out and dance. He likes to dress up like a girl, go out to clubs and fool other boys into thinking he's a girl. He has fun. It's his right to do this. Aside from getting somebody killed, that's what they do. Wow. They're pushed that. Kids don't even know what heterosexual sex is, that they're getting taught what homosexual sex is. That's where two men love each other, and they don't explain what that means. So you'll go around, and you'll see 9, 10, 11-year-old boys in certain areas holding hands. Why are you holding hands? Well, they said we should in school. It shows you love somebody. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Destruction. We don't have that anymore about manhood, men do this, men do that. And you look at action adventure and, uh, you know, you've got this thing where the action adventure characters, they pat each other on the butt too many times. They hug too many times. They kiss lip to lip now. That's supposed to be real men can handle the kiss, you know, this kind of stuff. And see, that's what the kids see. Yep. Yes, definitely. So we we are going we are going down in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any media that puts that out. I mean, we have no, you know, comparable access to people's minds. Just don't have it. So we're going to have to get out as a people, recruit some of the sisters to start telling. The young girls, this is what it's all about, you know. We have to get the brothers to get out and start doing this and say, act like a man. Men do this, men do that. I mean, you've got First Amendment rights of free speech, but everybody's afraid to do it. And by the way, it's not just us. White people had this problem, too. There was somebody I worked with uh, indirectly, very rich white guy. He's dead now. And he wanted me to do him the favor at this function of sitting next to at the same table with his two daughters, right? And he said, I want you to talk to the youngest one because she's having some real problems. So she said, Daddy said I can talk to you. I said, yes, you can. You don't won't get offended by what I say. No, go right ahead. Told me to expect you to be very candid. She says do I look all right? So you look like a movie star. Well, I'm rich. I say, obviously, your daddy being who he is, and I'm finishing up my master's degree, so I'm not dumb. I said, no, you're not. She said, why can't I find an eligible bachelor? I said, break it down. She said, how come every boy I run into that they want me to date is like a girlfriend with a dick? Wow. Wow. So what is wrong? And wow. I'm supposed to like this, and when I, I, I tell somebody I don't like this, they say, what's wrong with you? You should. It, it's a thing that's almost like a developmental bipolarity. They're telling today's women, white and black, that what really makes them feel good is not a good thing, and what they ought to feel good about, they don't get any rise out of. It's like, I don't like that, you know. 
And somebody needs to start putting it back in for the girls. There's honor and dignity and motherhood being a real mother. That's why Mother's Day is a special day, you know? And I know some women that sacrifice a lot for their kids. But I just got through counseling some people within the week where the 43-year-old mother was telling her grandmother, who's a friend of mine who wanted me to intervene in this thing, I'm listening to a tape of hers. She's saying, Mama, I got a right to go get drunk and high. These little ends, you know, they get on your last nerve. I need some relief. Wow. You know, like, hey, well, you're screwing up the kids. They don't know any better, and they don't care. <laughs> Nobody's taught them, and they don't see anything on TV. You know, I can recall some parties I went to, Hollywood-type parties at somebody's mansion. And sometimes they sound like you're at a kid's, uh, uh, well, a convention for child psychologists, right? Wow. One of them, that was this brat climbed up in a tree, who climbed up in a tree. And his mother was going, Jonathan, please come down from the tree. You're making mother so nervous. <laughs> and you're standing there, Jonathan, please come down. Mother's going to cry. You might get hurt. I don't care, Mama. I'll take a 10-minute time out. Jonathan, please, dear, come down. You might fall and hurt yourself. Oh, my God. And the woman is crying. Jonathan, don't make me cry. I don't want to come down. Well, it just so happens that the branch cracked. He fell and he fractured his arm. So he's screaming and hollering. She's screaming and hollering. And instead of just taking him to an emergency room in our car, one was far away. They have to go elaborately through calling the fire department and she's about to faint, and they've got to prop her up. Oh, my God, he's going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you going to get to Why are you not concerned? I said, it's good for him. He needed to fall to see why you obey your parents. You need to get the idea that you need to be a little bit more effective as a parent. You know, most parents don't have an hour and a half trying to sway the kid to do something. I hunt. You know, I haven't hunted in a while, but I can remember being in a stand, you know, north of the Arctic Circle, and I'm watching the bear. You know, mama bear grunts, and the bear or cubs run up a tree faster than you can run on the ground because someone's out there will kill them. But they can be obedient. People can talk, but you can't tell them anything these days because they don't practice this. It's absolutely true. Please, anybody listening, always tell your boys, act like a man. This is what a man does. This is what a man does not do. If you want them to be obedient, you have to show them. You want them to clean up their room, don't just say, go clean my room, go clean your room up. Go up there, take the time out of your so-called busy schedule. You say, this is how we fold socks. Watch, I'm going to do these three. You do these three pair of socks. No, that's not how you do it. Start over again. And then you stand there and have them put stuff in their drawers and pick it up off of the floor. And then you watch, you do this time and time again for a few times. And then you step out, go answer the phone or something. Come back in three minutes and see if they're just still doing it. You check out what they did, 
Did they perform adequately, or if they didn't, is it because they don't understand what they're supposed to do, so you need further instructions that you give them, or is it a matter of just being insubordinate and they decided they weren't going to do it, so you need discipline? You know, it, you it know, is it's work. <laughs> it is necessary, you know, and one of my saying is just that most of us choose the path of least resistance. We don't like anything that is difficult, you know. But I remember, as you said, you know, my mother used to make me wash my own clothes. And when I, she'd come and examine the clothes. And a few times she'd take it and put it back into the tub and say, you, you haven't started washing this clothes yet. So you need to go back and wash it. And you make sure that the next time you get it right. And that's what we need. There it is. But, you know, you've got this thing now where... You let the child choose what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and if he wants to do it. Where do you get? You get some full penitentiaries or you get some folks that do either suicide by drug, by drive-by, or by foolishness, or actually have the nerve to pop a cap on themselves. How do you get nothing out of it? Everybody wonders what the problem is. Yeah, because we don't take responsibility. I don't know. But anyway, we have a job cut out, and I like the program here because I've checked it out, and it, it's something that gets the word out. We need to get that word out. And another yeah, thing for women, please. Stop trying to worry about whether there's enough lotion on your child's elbows, knees, face, and hands. Stop worrying about whether he is prissy enough looking. Stop worrying about whether he is pampered enough. Stop trying to show out yourself by buying him a pair of $200 Air Jordans made in Hanoi, Vietnam, you know, and start dealing with the essentials. Boys need to be made tough. Women, if you've got daughters, comb their hair, show them how to do it. Don't go out and get seven to ten pounds of weave put in their hair and tightly braid it so you don't have to touch it for once every two weeks and spend $150 getting it done again. No? Teach your children to be tough. He talked about my child. Oh, for goodness sakes. Hardly said anything. In my day, we used to rib each other for sport. You'd get on somebody, and if they could handle it or took it gracefully, then you'd laugh about it, and it became a sport. If they got all bent out of shape, you'd try to chew them up. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I went talk to a school. It, it gets funny. I went to talk to a school and this one boy came in there and he had been a problem and he was just upset. He talked about my mother. I'm going to do that. So he had gotten out of line and the teacher was all upset. Well, the stand-in principal who was actually retired was someone I knew and she had invited me to come there and you know, talk to some people. So I'm listening, and she says, Honey, what did he say about your mother? 
He said she's so fat when she gets in a bathtub, she can't get one water drop of water in there with her. So, <laughs> the truth of the matter was is that Mama weighed about 350 pounds of water, and I, she might not have been able to get a drop maybe in film, but, you know, it's like, uh, he said, honey, maybe you need to pay more attention to your reading and your studying than getting upset about the mama. And the mama was upset because the boy had been talking about it. A woman who at one time in life years ago used to be a fashion model dear, maybe we could spend a little time in a gym <laughs> instead of getting our nails done <laughs> or our hair done. <clears throat> and I had to work at keeping a straight face. <laughs> I tell you, Judge, I, I remember a time when I think I was about maybe six years old, and I grew up in Richmond Hill, Queens, right by Jamaica, Queens. And a bunch of us kids were outside, and we started to fight. And I fought this other kid who was a little smaller than me, and I wasn't the biggest kid in the world. He punched me square in my nose, and blood was everywhere. I ran home crying. My father was sitting there. He was reading a book and eating something. And here I came with the bloody nose. I said, Daddy, Daddy, Craig Bastard, he punched me in the face. He said, listen, you go out there and you whip his ass right now. And if you don't whip his ass, I'm going to come out there and beat you. I ran out of there so fast and gave Craig the whipping of his life. And from that point on, uh -huh. there, was no, there was no stepping back for me. Well, that's kind of like I got. Hand up. Take care of yourself. Don't back down. Don't run. You'll get worse when you get home if somebody finds out about it. Act like a man. <laughs> don't do that. So, you know, nowadays, oh, my God, two children, seven years old, were fighting. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't bother you? Why should that bother It's been happening since there have been humans on the planet Earth. I went through it. Well, like, i tell you another instance. I spoke, I used to speak around a bit, and one time I was talking to this business, and I said, everybody in here who's over yeah. 60, Please hold your hand up. I said, anybody in this group over 60 who's never been in a fist fight with another man, put your hand down. Nobody put their hands down. Anybody over, okay, you can put your hands down. Now. Over 50, hold your hands up. Anybody who's never been in a fist fight, put your hands down. We got down around five. I said, all right, put your hands down if you've never been in a fight. A whole bunch of them put their hands down. The big boss looked over there. Jesus Christ, no wonder that little fool's such a goddamn prick. He's never had his ass beat. That <laughs> <laughs> always amazes me. Never been in a fight. You get up in front of some man's face and start trying to talk him down like you got a jacket. You know, like, hey, you don't even know what that means, so try being a little polite. It's always the ones like that that got to cop all this attitude, you know? So yep. maybe, but then again, you know, some of these little strange boys that don't have any proper bringing up, you know, they want to go pop a cap on somebody for looking at them cross-eyed. And that's yep. about 
Alma got mad and put some, man, why did you throw this battery, hot battery acid on this woman? Well, last November, well, this is October. We, You mean a year ago? Yeah. I looked out my window, and she was looking at my man when he getting in his car after we done broke up. Man, well, she got no right looking at my man. So you kept the grudge from last November to this October, and then you throw battery acid on. What's wrong uh, with you? <laughs> and see, half this drive-by crap is nothing but a punk play anyway because they don't have the nerve to stand toe-to-toe and punch it out. Exactly. Why didn't you have a fight with the guy? Man, look, man, I'm pretty. I, I kiss my holes with my face. Face scratched up with some fool fighting him. No, nah, I'm going to pop a cap on him for dissing me. Oh, wow. Oh. Well, how about if the court tells you you are a, turn the record up, you are a punk. And you ain't got no manhood, dude. You know, like, hey. <clears throat> trying to do makeup for your mama? <laughs> no, mama. Yeah, I'm mama. mama. What you going to do about it? <clears throat> <clears throat> but, you know, it, it's the bottom line is to see that's, what lacks in a lot of what goes on now in courts and the justice system, if you can call it that, the labor control system and where it deals with us, while back white judges used to look at themselves when they'd have somebody white in there, they'd look like I'm one of the senior chiefs and my job is to keep order in the village. Well, they look at it now as the varmints are out there eating up the food for the livestock in the farmer's yard or on the ranch. So we have to get rid of the varmints or they're scared to death of us and they look at themselves doing a service by uh, challenging their own inner self to take a stand that they didn't have when they got run home from school too often. Then Lord knows some of folk that look like us that are in a position to do something, they are nothing but aren't anything but little sissified something or another that are more scared of what's in front of them than they are concerned about doing right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. We have to take control of these neighborhoods, and we have to change them from being a matriarchy back to something where manhood prevailed. This Me Too nonsense, yeah, they have some good causes. I hate to see a woman get mistreated, and a man wouldn't do that, you know? But uh, half of this is just man-hating. Some of it's not real, and I don't care what they say. Our problem is that in our neighborhoods, men are not in charge. We don't have the money, we don't have the finances, and we don't do what we need to do to bestow order. Some of us have the economic wherewithal or have good jobs or work regularly. But too many young boys who will never get to be truly men don't get the idea that they're supposed to be providers and protectors. Set the order 
in the tone for ethics and morality where they live. We've got to teach them that. You're absolutely right. And I mean, that's that's for me, like I said, that's one of my aim right now is to reach out to them and to help them in whatever way I can to get them on track to realize that, you know, there is a lot of work to be done. And we can't be afraid to, to start the work. We can't be afraid to push the agenda because it is hemming in on us very closely and we are going to self-destruct if we don't do something about it. Yeah. And what I'm talking about, what you're talking about, is not doing anything against anybody. It's just advocacy for what's right for those that you identify with that you have a common interest in. Exactly. You're downing somebody. I'm not downing them. It's just you've had your say. I'm saying what I need to say to help out the many that are getting neglected by what you say. Your Honor, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, My sister-in-law here wanted to know we had a discussion earlier about young men who are raped in prison, and we know how the subculture goes there pretty much. But the angle that she wanted to, or the question that she had was, is there any legal recourse for someone who is actually raped there, regardless of the, the beginnings of the situation, the incident, but can they sue the facility? Could they sue the government? Um, she wanted to know if that was a possibility. Well, no. As a pragmatic matter, you don't have any witnesses, and they aren't really concerned about it. As a factual matter, if you sentence someone to prison, you sentence them to be raped or to engage in it voluntarily. I have a friend who at one time was a supervisor for the sexually transmitted disease section for Center for Disease Control down in Atlanta. So they had a hit team, and they came up here to Memphis, Tennessee, to look at the situation up here with the jail. And what they told me, and this has been 20 years ago, was that if you sent someone to the penitentiary or a jail and they're in there for more than a year, there is a 90-plus percent probability probability that they have had multiple homosexual contacts, either voluntary or involuntary. If they're in six weeks, there is a 40% probability that such things went on. If you've ever toured a jail, some of the more modern ones have double walls and they have passageways through the walls for the guards who can look through two-way mirrors in the bathrooms and through gratings, ventilation gratings. If you walk through there, like downtown Memphis at 201 Poplar, which is a holding jail for those who haven't been convicted or are waiting to go into court. Got about 2,500 people down there on a daily basis. 
you can't walk through there without seeing somebody being homosexually assaulted or used homosexually. And that's a reality of going and doing time. If you listen to some of these people after they've done time and they aren't aware of your listening to them, you'll hear conversation. Well, look, man, you don't understand. You do your time. You just got to do that, man. Like, it ain't no big thing. It's a man thing. No, it's not a man thing, but that's the way they look at it. And I handled a lot of rape cases as a trial lawyer, a defense lawyer at one time. And I was surprised at the number of people who were real rapists, not ones who just been accused because they promised to pay the woman's rent and they didn't and the woman was retaliating for them not or with some BS going to it. And almost invariably what happened is the guy was walking through the projects or through an apartment complex and four or five guys who had been doing time recently grabbed him, took him off in a vacant apartment, and raped him. And the rape he did on women was not for gratification. It was scapegoating somebody to get a sense of, I did somebody worse than got done to me. There's a big dynamic in the whole thing about rape, about hurting somebody on purpose, because the perpetrator felt the need not for sexual gratification, but to scapegoat type hurt somebody. When you put somebody in the penitentiary, uh, they will have engaged in homosexual behavior by the time they got out unless they are a very unique person. Anecdote. Freaking anecdote. I would have petitions seeing we had a scheme where if you got sent to the workhouse that they have here, this area had a deal with the State Department of Corrections that if the sentence was no more than six years, they'd go to the workhouse, which they called a penal farm. They used to farm. And... The judge maintained jurisdiction to suspend the remainder of sentence. If they got sent to the Department of Corrections, they'd have to go through the parole board. But you'd get these petitions to suspend sentence. And I had my in-depth 10, 15-page long report, and I've got, let's say, Friday I set for, or Thursday, for petitions to suspend sentence. So I've got maybe 15, 20 people on the docket for the day that are in there for that purpose. So I'm looking and there are 11 of them that I notice are HIV positive and the sexual partners that are listed that the health department has investigated are all in my courtroom applying for suspended sentence. They may come across as OG types, but they've been engaging in homosexual activity and all of them are HIV positive and they're talking about they want to, you know, come out and be straight and 
you know, be with their girlfriends or get married to somebody, but they're HIV positive, and this was 25 years ago when there wasn't any kind of real effective treatment for it. So what do you do with that? But you're looking at somebody, and they're coming across the way they're coming across. Or as a defense lawyer before that, I would get these clients that got brought in by their mothers. They were out of control and have a lot of juvenile cases. And mother would come in and hire you because she didn't want the public defender for her baby boy. And then they would get 17, 18, and 19, and they would still get cases. And they would come in with three or four women would come in and put the fees up. They might or might not know about each other. I think they'd get their first time where they did two or three years and they'd get out. And interestingly, they would have one or two girls came in and two or three gay boys would come in and put the fee up for them. And then straight girls invariably would come back in two weeks, a month later. No, Brian, I want my money back. Well, baby, you can't have it back. That's gone in the bank. I'm on the jacket. I got to represent him. But I want my money back. Why? I found out he got him two gay lovers. They live in the same apartment building just around the corner. And he'd be down there sticking them or they sticking him. And I noticed all my cortex was turning up missing. And him behind bleeding. I want my money back. Well, baby, you need to go talk to him. And they never got it out of their system. See, that's when you look at somebody that's done some hard times, uh, that kind of goes with the territory. Not always, but most of the time. If they hook up with the nation of Islam, yeah, they can be cool if they hooked up with it early enough. Wow. Sometimes that happens the other way around with the Hispanic gang situation and with the white bunch. But sometimes even off with those gangs, they, they sit there and do that do too. But you get somebody going to the penitentiary, part of the sentence is not just the time, but the booty too. Wow. Wow. Uh, this is what the world needs to hear. That's right. Yeah. No. So I would go over, you know, sometimes talk over at a rec center in one of the projects or somebody like that, or someplace like that. I'd say, yeah, man, man, stomp Taylor, or man, he don't understand. Man, I understand. No, you don't, man. You ain't done your time yet, man. You ain't no real man till you done did your time, man. Everybody got to do said time, man, you know. That's just part of being a man. You got to do your time. Like, what kind of screwed up way of thinking is that? They put you in the slave quarters just because you're on a plantation and there's no cotton for you to pick, you know? This is supposed to be acceptable? Mm-mm. But it's wrong kind of ideation. Look, I don't want to bore anybody to death. What have we been on? We've been talking Boy, about no, no, no. We're, we're sitting here in attention like like, <laughs> like a classroom. It's four of us over here. We're listening to your every syllable, and you're feeding our soul, and you're actually recharging us to go out into the world and to continue doing what we're doing. 
I know you see the frequency in which I post. And I work a 10-hour job and a second part-time job, and I just keep going, not because of me, but because of the same energy that flows through you. And I thank you for sharing and passing on the baton and continuing on. No, we're going to roll until you're ready. Let, let me make one last closing thing about this news being entertainment. I tell people sometimes, I say, you know, most of what you get on the news isn't really some reporting that was done. They get it off of the net. And there's a 23-year-old writing copy that comes across the screen over the camera lens that the talking head is reading. Mm -hmm. You can get the same information yourself and you can make up your own mind. Try this. Don't look at the news or listen to the news for a whole week and see if you missed anything. <laughs> You're so right. Oh, and then it's the way you look at it. So you hear all of this stuff, and they're just gloating over Trump getting his comeuppance on the stock market dropping. Well, something I had been... Uh, really been out of shape about over the years is the Republican Party got rid of the long-term capital gains thing. That used to be if you bought something or invested in something, got share of stock, and you kept it for six months and then sold it, if you had any gain on it, then you only got charged tax on one half of your gain. If you didn't keep it six months, they'd kick your butt on it because they were encouraging you to make sound investments. Well, they got rid of that, and it doesn't have any penalty if you don't keep it a full second, and you've got a computer doing it for you. So what has happened is they've got algorithms that they are running computers with, and no human is touching this thing. And based on informational input, the algorithms are doing buy, sell, trade, leverage type stuff millions of times every few minutes, and there's no penalty to it. But apparently what set these algorithms off is that the employment situation was the best it's been for 25 years, and in the last 12 months, there's been a market, uh, a marked increase in the buying power for the ordinary wage earners. So that triggers in automatic concerns about inflation, which triggers in sell episodes. So the computer algorithms were having all of this sell off because of that inorganic input. People are getting more money now than they have in a while for what they do, and more people are working to get the money. That triggers the possibility of inflation, so the response to inflation is sell. There's no penalty involved by quickly selling stuff that you really haven't even had a chance to look at. Your computer just got it for you and quickly traded or sold it off. What you're looking for in the market is volatility, not long-term stability, except for a bottom line something you keep in store to leverage what else you're doing. When that's the case, you turn Wall Street and stock exchanges into gambling casinos, not places to invest 
in sound income earning opportunity. So we get all bent out of shape by stuff like that and don't even know what we're listening to and the person is telling you on the TV doesn't either. Um, yeah, yeah, game is, is very interesting information. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'll tell you another one. Now, I'm I don't like Trump, but they're getting on him about this military parade. And the thing I hear all the time from certain corners is, why don't they spend the money in Puerto Rico where they really need it instead of wasting it on a parade? Well, guess what? The news media hasn't told you this, but under American law, Congress has to make specific military appropriations for periods no longer than two years at a time. The president, even though he's the chief executive, has no discretion to spend the money allocated for a military purpose for another purpose. That's against the law. That's that Iran-Contra thing, stinger missiles and violating the law and plausible deniability with St. Ron. So he's got to spend it anyway. There is a certain amount allocated for maneuvers and training. You just switch it from doing it as a training exercise. You make a parade. The real world fallout is, is in terms of doing the logistics, bringing the units in with the transportation. That's good rehearsal in the event you get another Katrina situation and you need to marshal the military in to keep civil order and also provide disaster relief. But they talk about they have an objective. They don't like the guy. I can see why they don't. But you know, I don't like Hillary either for the reasons I stated earlier. And I don't like parties where their main concern is who pees in the girls' bathroom. But at least do the public the favor of accurately of reporting the news instead of making it a bogus entertainment. And I think the term now is fake news, which is a very good phrase for it. <laughs> so... You know, it's like, don't get game. Remember the big lie told long enough, loud enough to get anybody to believe it? The holding out the opportunity of you get to rip people off if you hang on and you promote your own getting ripped off and then feed them and entertain them. And they won't care what we do. And then Lincoln had one that's fallen by the wayside. You can fool most of the people most of the time. Some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. But that category of the ones you can fool most of the time is getting bigger because they rely on the tube or the cell phone instead of going out and doing it independently. Right. These are great research engines, but we use them for gossip and games rather than finding out anything. You know? I have one more I have one more request and question for you. But before I even say that, we have to do this again when I'm in the studio and back return to the studio. This has been phenomenal. And I, I want to just continue on with you. And I know you're a very busy man. 
But whenever you have time, just let me know, and we will continue. But I have another question for you. After eight years in office, and in the beginning, literally coming out of nowhere, what do you think of President Barack Obama and what he has done? Yes, please tell me about him. Well, let me ask you a question first. Who's the richest president in American history? Well, I would guess probably it might be him. It is. You know why? How come? His stepfather, nominal stepfather, who adopted him before he was two years old, Sotoro. Lolo Sotoro, when he married uh, Barry slash Barack's mother, was international vice president of Standard Oil. He also just happened to run the death squads for the Indonesian army. So he assassinated inconvenient people as part of his job as a reserve major in the Indonesian army. He ran the Gestapo for them. And with his possession of muscle at his control and being a standard oil vice president, he decided to start his own oil company. Now, Indonesia may have the world's largest oil reserves. It's up in the air. However, he became an oil tycoon, and Obama grew up in what was one of the 10 to 20 richest households on the planet Earth. The oh high school we went to, I talked to somebody that went to that high school in Hawaii with him. And he said when he went there with Obama, the tuition, not including room and board, was 45000 a year. Um, back when I was almost going to send my oldest son there, who was causing his mother some trouble when I was trying to get custody of him. And the tuition at that time without room and board was 95000 a year. Obama is the beneficiary of an Indonesian trust fund set up by his step-slash-adoptive daddy. There are only three beneficiaries, so one of the richest men in the world left his entire estate to this trust fund with three equal beneficiaries. Barry slash Barack and his two half siblings. It is run under Indonesian law, so it doesn't answer to American law. And Business Insider is reported his net net income at two hundred million a year. That's after taxes and expenses and all that. Uh, Goldman Sachs does the financial work for the trust fund. It has done many joint joint ventures with British Petroleum, which may be why he directed the Justice Department to drop the prosecutions against those responsible for that blowout in the Gulf and also was so strongly disinclined to require that BP cooperate with other oil companies. 
the family, the Sotoros in the bushes are long-term family friends. It develops to George Herbert Walker is the founder of Halliburton, and that's Uncle Herbie to President George Herbert Walker and great-uncle to George Walker Bush president. Let's see, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama work for a law firm that represents Goldman Sachs that uh, is also the financier of Barack's trust fund, and his daddy used that law firm. Hillary Clinton's father worked for Goldman Sachs, and some of the emails that came out showed that contrary to her sworn affidavit on the federal conflict disclosure form, she didn't get $13 million in speaking fees, courtesy of Goldman Sachs, for a 14-, 15-month period, it was $26 million. Let's see, Cruz's wife worked for Goldman Sachs. I'll come back to him for something that's important. Let's see, the two women that Obama got on the Supreme Court, not somebody, by the way, to have replaced or set off that, not replaced, but set off that abominable Uncle Clarence Thomas, had been consultants for Goldman Sachs at one point or another. Geithner was their chief consultant. That was the Treasury Secretary. And remember, for tax fraud in the amount of multiple millions of dollars, he paid a $46,000 fine and got six months suspended. Wesley Snipes for being convicted of three counts of failure to file all necessary forms, but having been found to have overpaid his taxes by a quarter of a million dollars, I testified during his sentencing hearing, was sentenced to three years in a federal penitentiary. And you see the connection in there? Yes. You've got the Clintons are worth $68 million, and Clinton for years had been governor for the third lowest paying governor's position in America for five terms. Hillary on her declaration when she became first lady, round one, declared that on two or three years she had brought in a little less than 200000 net with this law firm she was in, but yet she's worth $28 million two years, two and a half years after being uh, a civil servant as Secretary of State and before that U.S. Senator and before that with 150 k a year stipend as First Lady. Uh, interesting situation. Now let's get back to Cruz. Cruz appears to be the Republican darling for president. In the Constitution of the United States, it defines American citizen as anyone who has at least one American citizen as a parent, no matter where in the world they were born. Basically what it says. Later on in the Constitution, it has qualifications for president. You have to be what they call a natural citizen to qualify for president. 
that means you just can't be an ordinary citizen. You have to be born within a state, territory, protectorate, or sovereign territory of the United States, such as a consulate or embassy or military or naval base or somewhere like the Canal Zone. Cruz was born where? In Canada. He's not eligible to be U.S. president, but the media didn't touch that. By the way, that's what that whole thing about Birthgate was. It wasn't that Obama was not a citizen. The media got it wrong because his mother was one, so that makes him one automatically. It's the question of whether he was born in Indonesia, where she just happened to spend a lot of time, which does not keep him from being an American citizen, but he wouldn't have been qualified for president. But they showed two and a half years after he was in office, he comes up with a Hawaiian birth certificate, which makes him eligible. See, that's what the issue is, but the media doesn't properly inform him. So there are a lot of things like that. And by the way, you know what scares the hell out of me? One last thing we haven't touched on. Punishment yes. for criminal offense. Do you know that the 13th Amendment did not totally outlaw slavery? Basically, it says there shall be no slavery nor involuntary servitude except upon due process of law as a punishment for a criminal offense. So if we aren't careful, what's going to wind up happening is that some enterprising somebody on the right wing side in somebody's state legislature is going to take advantage of that and actually have somebody's commission to slay enslavement as a punishment for certain felonies. Now, we're going to get a lot of that because there's some interesting things that are developing in the next three decades. For the last five years, the majority of the births in America have not been white. Out in three, two and a half to three decades, America will no longer be a majority white uh, country. And them becoming a minority is going to result in a plantation mentality, I predict, wherein they're going to start acting like white overseers in a deep south rural plantation where they've got three or four hundred black slaves and 15 white folk keeping them under control. And the nearest help, a posse, is 15 to 30 miles away by horse. What I said the other day. That's going to be an interesting development. But we need to be aware of these things and act accordingly and start setting up some coalitions like they have in Hawaii where they no longer have or never have had a majority race in Hawaii. They call everybody cousins. See, the Tea Party got cute with the redistricting in California a few years back, thought they'd control the place. And then in early January 2013, California turned up to be, what, 52% Catholic Hispanic. Now it's 54%, so they're a minority there. Here's a smaller one than we used to be. Be some interesting developments. So these things we've been talking about are very crucial. Wait, for the you. new thank world. You. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Judge, because, you know, 
I mean, these are some of the things that we've been talking about because we realize what's going on and that we need to wake up to, to soberness and to reality because if we don't, the door is going to shut and all of us is going to get locked in. And so that's why we have to get these, these, these groups going to come to that full realization. Mm-hmm. And I have realized that a long time ago because I was telling my brother-in-law, your Lance, that when I first came here, the, the white, the white guys, they used to say to me, you are better than the black Americans. And I always wonder why are they saying that to me? So then when I find out and I start looking into it, it is a way of keeping us as black people in, in, in these groups, you know, to pivot us against each other. Because if they don't divide us up as black people, they can't keep us underneath that wrap. So that's why I am trying to help young black Americans, young Jamaicans and people from the Caribbean or Africa, wherever we come from, that we are each other, we are we are our brother's keeper. And so we must do something to fight against the, the, the wrong that has been done and continue to be done to us as a people. Yes. Jamaica has the Maroons and black people in America don't understand the rest of America don't understand that. What that means. You see, and and that is absolutely so. You need to understand that crucial significance of getting yourself free without begging somebody to let you go. See, we think in terms of civil rights where you're down on your knees until some racist redneck feels guilty about whipping your head. We think of it that way. I, I, I never could buy into that. I'm going to have to take somebody out if they try to do me that way. See, and, and that's, and that's oh. my philosophy. You know what I mean? I, I always think that in this situation, for me, I'd rather to, to, to die than to live as a slave. I want to be a free man because we all are free citizens of the earth. So we just have to realize that if we come together, you know, and we have to come to the to the to the consensus that we have to fight a system that is killing all of us, really. You know, so yes. it's important. All right, everybody. Hey, enjoy your trip to the island, man. <laughs> we uh, sure we will. I could join you, man. I might even go over to Saint Elizabeth Parish where I sit in real close. <laughs> Any time, Judge, we truly appreciate you, and we thank you so much for the wonderful wisdom that you share with us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Be yes. good. Yes. Have a safe thank trip. Thank you. And we got to do now. this again soon. Just let me know. It's been an honor and a you pleasure. Let me, thank you so much. I'm, I'm semi-retired. You just let me know when you need Oh, definitely. When we get back, All I'm right. going to give you a, a text, okay? Thank you so much for Stay your right. time. Okay. All of you. Thank Have you. a great trip. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Make sure to check out the boldest blog at com and follow Scurve on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube under Lance Scurve.